Good morning. <clears throat> Elaine, it's not going to work this time. You know, that's the other one. <laughs> There's two songs Elaine sings that get me every time. That's the second one. Maybe you didn't know that. Jesus, draw me, draw me close, closer, Lord, to thee. For I desire to worship and obey. That song taught me the meaning of worship one day. I heard it and I just fell before the Lord on my face and listened to that song and the words. Those words are important. Jesus, draw me close. And there's a lot more words to the song, but what I stuck in my mind is, for I desire to worship and obey. Do you desire that today? Do you desire to worship God? You've been given an opportunity, I hope, I hope as you were given an opportunity that you entered into that holy place with him and that you experienced his presence. It's the desire of our worship team to have that take place. And that's our goal, to give you the opportunity to come in close to God and realize just how powerful and mighty he is and, and what he's doing in our lives. And we need that. We need to know that God is, is with us. We want to take a moment this morning... Uh, tomorrow is Veterans Day, and I would ask if you have served in the Armed Forces of the United States that you would stand this time, please. If you've served in the Armed Forces, Army, Navy, Marines, if you would stand, we want to thank you for your service. <laughs> and I... I want you to stand back up because I'm going to pray for you too. That's anybody that was in the service. Okay, one of you is going to stand back up. Okay, I thought you all stood tall when you served in the military. <laughs> okay. Father, we just ask your blessing on these uh, men and women who have uh, been willing to defend our freedom. And we ask, Father, that you bless them. We know that oftentimes there's wounds that they carry that uh, we can never see. Pray, Father, that you know that we appreciate what they've done and that we appreciate their service for our country and, and for the price that they paid for our freedom. And we ask, Father, that you just bless them today in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, people often under, they struggle with understanding themselves. Have you ever had that problem trying to figure yourself out? You know, we say things like, why, what in the world was I thinking when I did that? I've been there a few times. And, and I, you know, it's it, interesting thing is that uh, even Paul struggled with that. Romans 7, he says, the good that I would, I do not. That which is evil, I do. And again, in Corinthians, he talks about, I'll judge nothing before the time. And he goes on a little ways further, and he says, I don't even judge myself. Um. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is evil and desperately wicked. Who can know it? See, we struggle with really finding our identity and who, who we really are sometimes. And it's interesting that uh, people will help us with that. They want to share their opinions about who you are. And so you can think back to when you were a kid or even maybe yesterday or the day before where, where somebody has told you their opinion of you and it, it could have went something like this uh, you're a chicken 
or you're a sissy. How many ever heard that in grade school? Any of you guys ever hear that? You know, every once in a while somebody would say something like that, and they were probably sorry they said it. Uh, but uh, you, they were telling you what they thought of you. You know, they have an opinion about it. So it's happened from an early age. They might tell you you're attractive or you're unattractive or you're not attractive enough. They might tell you that you're lazy or you work too hard. It's interesting, isn't it? You can be both in different people's eyes. You work too hard and you're lazy in someone else's eyes. And they're going to tell you who you are and your, their opinion of you. They might tell you you're crazy. And they might tell you that you're self-righteous. Or they might tell you a lot of things. Do you see that? That people, people share their opinion about you. And so here's the deal. What is your identity anyway? Who are you really? I think that's a very important question. That we have to ask that question and we have to answer it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we... we uh, see some interesting insight into who we are and what our identity really is in Christ. Last week, I want to just touch on what Charles talked about, who, by the way, is with the youth group and gone. That's why I'm up here today. And start here in Second Peter, or 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, you who believe he is precious, but to, but to those who, let me read that, therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed. And then listen to this. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtain mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And so here, Peter is telling us our identity. It's talking about his church. It's talking about his people. And so our identity, as, as Peter uh, has written here, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, never forget that, that the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's not somebody's rambling. It's not somebody's ideas. It's what God has proclaimed to us. And so, today I want you to think about this. Am I finding my identity in Christ? It's a question to ask. Are you, is, is your really, are you really finding your identity in Christ? We need to find our identity. And our true identity for Christians is wrapped up in knowing Jesus and who Jesus is and, and what Jesus says and what Jesus teaches. That, that's, that's our identity, and we need to grab a hold of that. 
And so here he begins in verse 9. He says, you are a chosen generation. Have you ever thought about that? You're a chosen generation. A people have been brought together to reach out to the world. To reach outward to the world. This is the reality of each generation. See, there are many called or chosen generations. You need to think about that for a minute. They, my generation was chosen to do what? To reach out to the world. If you're a young person today, you're chosen. What for? To reach out to the world. To understand that you have a task that's before you. You're, you're, you're called to that task, to do that, to be part of that. And we don't think of it like that sometimes. Well, they, we, Sometimes we think, well, that's, that's just somebody else's job. You know, the elders in this church should be reaching out to people. And we forget that we're also chosen to reach out to people. In, in Judges chapter 1, it says this. Now, the first verse says, Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites? To fight against them. See, I thought that was a done deal. I thought that was all taken care of, but there's still struggles to go on. If you read that first chapter, it's going to talk about all the struggles that were still going on with the Canaanites, with the Perizzites, in the struggle to regain or to take over the promised land. If you look in Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Okay, Joshua died. Who's going to take over for Joshua? Well, the next generation. And, and what happened in Israel? A generation arose that did not know what God had done. How come they didn't know? You ever think about that? How come they didn't know what God had done? Because they hadn't taught them. They hadn't fulfilled what God called them to do. They hadn't, hadn't taught them what they needed to know in order to keep walking the walk with Jesus, with God, I should say, at this point. To walk with God. They turned away from the teachings of God. See, they failed to teach them about true discipleship, about, about the salvation that God offered to them. They, they failed to teach them that God was walking with them, that God cared about them, that God wanted to go with them. So this, this generation that's living now must equip the next generation. And I should have looked up, how long is a generation? <laughs> you know, I should have looked that up. What do we consider a generation? 20 years? I don't know what we consider. Huh? 20 years. Okay, well, so I'm... I ain't telling you how old I am. No, no I'm, not, I'm not shy. I'm 68 years old. Okay, so I have a generation to reach. And a bunch of you are a whole lot younger than that. And you have a generation to reach. And be, be, below you is another generation that's even younger than that middle generation. And you have a generation to reach as well. You're doing a good job of supplying people for that next generation. <laughs> 
got the twins up front. But the point of the matter is, you see this. There are many chosen generations. Israel was the nation that God chose to reach out to the world with one message. Do you know what that message was that Israel was supposed to proclaim to the whole world? That there was one God. One God. And they, they were proclaimed that, and that that one God cared about them. They were to be a blessing to all nations. They were to reach out to everyone. That's what Abraham was told, to be a blessing to all nations. But what happened? Is that what took place? They didn't do that. Instead of being inclusive, they became exclusive, didn't they? And they began to teach things that wasn't what God was teaching. God's trying to embrace his people. And obviously, the Old, whole Old Testament is there to help us understand what it takes to do that, it takes us to teach one generation to the next, and we're going to always have trouble. Read it sometime and look at it. They walked with God, they didn't walk with God. They walked with God, they didn't walk with God. They walked with God, they didn't walk with God. I think you get the picture. Read the Bible, if it's there, it's plain as day. And the reason they didn't is because they didn't te keep teaching what they needed to teach to the next generation. We're in jeopardy of that. All you have to do is do a little bit of study and you realize that uh, the millennials, 9 out of 10, do not go to church or attend anything that has to do with church. They don't even, some of them understand church. The Generation Z, 24 and younger, they don't even understand that, that you should respect the church or that there is such a thing as a pastor that might be able to give them some information that would help them. Why not? Because we're not teaching them. We're not teaching them. So we're... A chosen generation, and that includes all of us. What was God's intention for Israel? He, he wanted them to be more than they, they were. He desired for them to accomplish more than they accomplished. If you look at Isaiah 61 and verse 6, it says, But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. See, they were supposed to be priests of the Lord. People, the Gentiles were to look at them and, to understand there's something special about these people. They care about people. They love people. But, but they failed to do that. And you know that verse is very reminiscent of, of uh, some verses in the New Testament. I think that's exactly what Peter's telling us. We need to be doing that too. Reaching out to people, not being inclusive. Not turning to ourselves. In Romans 12, 1 and 2 it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You're going to be a priest of God. You're going to be holy in, in serving Him. We realize that we make mistakes. It's right there, Peter. We understand that. But we're called to do that. It's acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That sounds very much like that Isaiah idea. You're going to be a priesthood and you're going to serve people. And so we have to consider ourselves that we're called to be servants. And that's what Peter is getting to. And, and he, he refers to this called generation as a royal priesthood just like Isaiah did a royal priesthood 
We're called that as well. Do you think of yourself like that? Do, do you identify with that? Is, that? is that in your concept of your identity that, that you're a royal priesthood involved in the work of God, each and every one of us? Each and every one of us teaching others and reaching the people that we can reach in our generation, in our time, and, and thus showing ourselves to be loyal to the king that we say we follow with all of our heart. And this idea of being a living sacrifice, what do sacrifices do? Anybody tell me? Just blurt it right out there. Well, a sacrifice dies, right? The Old Testament sacrifice was offered on the altar. It died. Okay. You ever stop to think that you died too? When you became a Christian, you're buried in that watery grave. You, you rose to a new life. You're died. Romans 6 tells us the old man is put away and we're a new creation. In, in, uh, in uh, Corinthians, it talks about that, that we're a new creation. We're a different. We're different people. We died to our past. That was buried. It's gone. And we died as well. And so that's how you can be a living sacrifice. You see that? Old Testament sacrifice couldn't be that. They killed the sacrifice. But you're born again. You're saved. You're, you're uh, walking with God, however you want to put it. But we're not the creature that we were before. We're a new creation. And that's what we're called to do, and that's what we need to think about. So this verse is very important. See yourself differently. Identify with who you really are. Who we really are. Man. Royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. That's what it's saying there. A holy nation. See, we're, we're, we're taught differently about ourselves than we oftentimes think. Do you, do you see yourself as being part of a holy nation? Do you identify with that? You know, if I look at our country and our nation, and I realize it's not holy, right? But I challenge you, look at any nation on earth, any culture on earth, and tell, tell me that you think it's holy before God. So what in the world is he talking about? What's Peter talking about as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit? What's he saying? Because it says right there, I can see it right there, that holy nation, we are a holy nation. It's the church. It's his church. Do you realize that? Now, none of us individually are going to be that, but the church encompassing the body of Christ is perfect. That's in Scripture. We're perfect. None of us individually are perfect, but together we have been given a task as a holy nation to accomplish something for the kingdom of God. We are called to that. And this is important for us to get a hold of. So It's a nation of true believers, and it comes from every nation on earth. 
Revelation talks about the day when all the nations will be gathered and they'll stand before the throne of God and, and you know, there, there will be his bride. And what is his bride going to be? Without spot or blemish. You see that? And so this nation is way beyond what we see sitting in this room. It's way beyond how we think about ourselves. We're a part of something big. You ever been one to be part of something big in your life? Yeah. What's sports about? What's, what's all this stuff we do in sports? We want to be part of a team so we can win the championship. We want to be part of something big. Well, you can't get any bigger than this. We're, we're part of a holy nation with a holy calling with something to do. And it says right here that you are his own special people. Now, I've been told I'm special all my life. <laughs> you, ever been, you ever been told you're special? Yeah, you're really special. And that can, that, that's an interesting phrase because it could be a compliment. It could be a put down. You know, it could be fighting words. You know, depending on your disposition, right? I always take it as a compliment. But, but I, yeah, every one of you has been told that. Well, you're really special. Yes. Well, here, the Holy Spirit of God is telling you that you're his own special people. You see, Israel is chosen by God, like I said, for a purpose, to, to demonstrate who the God is, who God is, that there's one God. But you realize that just because they were used for that task doesn't mean every Israelite is going to go to heaven. They're not. The people that are God's chosen people are the people that follow him in faith. The people that walk with him in, in, in the way that he's calling us to do. The people that are lifting up the cross and doing what he tells us to do. To, to reach out and to try to change the world we live in. The, the nation of God. It's, it's not because your grandma taught Sunday school that you're going to heaven. Do you understand that? It's because you made a decision to accept God. And he calls you his own special people. And this people, this special people, have a job to do. And what makes you special is that God is present with you. His spirit dwells in you. And you're forgiven. You ever think of that? Too often, we struggle with that. Too often, we don't believe that. Well, I did something. I'm not sure that I'm going to ever get forgiven for that. That's not what he said. That's not what he told us. So we're special because we've been forgiven and because we're forgiven, we are given a special job to do. Let's just read this all together. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, 
that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we're all these things. Your identity is that, and your purpose is to proclaim these things, his praises. Now, you know what? Uh, people get after me because they'll say, well, um, I like your sermon. I'll say, well, praise God. And they, they think, well, just say thanks. I've had people tell me that. Why don't you just say thanks? Well, I, I use those terms. A lot of times we say, you know, praise God or praise Jesus or whatever as a form of worship. And it's okay to give credit where it's supposed to go because that's exactly what he's talking about here. When, we, when he's talking about praising God, he's talking about giving God the glory for what he's done. He's talking about your story. Do you ever think of telling your story as being praise before God? When you tell somebody about what God's done for you, you're actually praising him. You know, the, the Psalms talk about magnifying God. Well, what does it mean? To make him visible, to make it obvious to people that God exists, that Jesus Christ is active and working in the world. So if you really want to do that, then think about that, that you're sharing what God's done for you. And, and if you're a Christian, every one of you have a story about what God's done. Is that not true? Maybe you never sat down and thought about it, but you have a story to tell that makes a difference. And praise God by telling that story because that story is proclaiming the praises of him, Jesus, who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And then it goes on. And it's kind of referring back to this Israel thing that we're often hung up on. Who, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtain, obtained mercy. That goes back to what they said, what the Israelites did. They became inclusive. And they said things like, I thank God I'm not a dog, a Gentile. Do I have faith? Or a woman. That's what they said. That is what they said. <laughs> Give me faith, Lord. Elaine will talk to me later. That's what they said. I didn't say it. But uh, what, are, what, is that, what does that statement say? The Gentiles are no better than dogs. And I'm going to leave the last part off. <laughs> I do not have that much faith. <laughs> but do you see that? See, that's how they thought about it. And then we have to talk about ourselves here. You know, how often, boy, I'm guilty of this. I hate preaching sometimes. <laughs> Do you catch yourself saying, man, this country's going to hell in a handbasket. Nobody, they don't, they're, they're just forgetting everything that counts, all, everything we ever stood for. And you know what? I'm tr it's true, but why? Why is that happening? Instead of 
get mad at people that don't know what they don't know. We need to start getting busy about telling them what they need to know. And you can't do that by saying, you know, I don't want to even talk to you. And too often that's how Christians think. What is that? That's turning inward. That's turning into our own selves instead of turning outward. And that's not what we're called to do. And I'll tell you, we've got to tweak ourselves up on that every once in a while if we're going to really be what we're called to be. You know, in Luke uh, chapter 7, in verse 40 and following, it says, and uh, a woman had come and he, she had washed Jesus' feet and the, the Pharisees that were gathered, they didn't appreciate that. They didn't like it at all. And they, they accused Jesus of not even knowing who this woman was that had touched him. And it goes on here in verse 40, and, and Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Now that's true. The thing is, is that we've got to realize that all of us have been forgiven for more than we can ever know. Do you, do you believe that? Sometimes we start thinking, well, you know, if they would just act like me, everything would be fine. Yeah, and that's not, that's not the point of that. We love God because he forgave us. And because he forgave us, we need to uh, forgive other people. That, that's the bottom line. So the question is, what are you praising God for today? Are you praising God because your identity is wrapped up in Christ and you know who you are? Or, or are you just praising God because he's doing what you want him to do and you're at peace? You know, both of those are valuable. Both of those are good. But the bottom line is maybe you're at peace because you're not doing because what he wants you to do. <laughs> it seems like when you start proclaiming the gospel, things get a little bit tough. They get a little bit harder. And so Peter talks about this idea that, that uh, <clears throat> there's, some, there's a change that's, been ta that's taken place and says, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. See, we got mercy. And so we're called to have some mercy from time to time. It's, been, it's this idea of being this chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people hasn't always been true of any of us. You understand this? Because we were once not a people. And again, you can take it literally. That's how the Jews and the Israelites saw us. But it's also the truth. We were not God's people at some point. We were walking in darkness. But God forgave us and took us out of that darkness and gave us something new. And so we're called to follow him, to serve him, to trust him. You see that? And that, my friends, will cost us something. 
To follow God is not a walk in the park. It's just not. And it's becoming more and more obvious that as Christians, we need to recognize that. That it's going gonna, it's gonna to stretch us a little bit to stand up for what the Bible teaches and preaches. It's true in this world that we live in. But don't become embittered. And don't turn away. And think, I just want to hang with our group. But be out there amongst them. Key point. Influencing them, not be influenced by them to go against what God says. See, we're the light of the world. We're a city on a hill. We're the salt of the earth, as Jesus told us. And so we're called to do some things that are going to be somewhat difficult. We're a people who had not obtained mercy, but now through Jesus have every one of us. And so find your identity in Jesus Christ and walk with him. So let's stand, and we're going to sing an invitation song.